Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. As always, we appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. While I'm thinking about it, let me mention again something I hadn't mentioned in several weeks, and that is the BibleCrossfire.com website. This is a really good-looking website done by my friend Shane Pack. At BibleCrossfire.com, you can do a lot of different things related to the program. For us, you can ask me any Bible question, just kind of like over email. Or you can listen to any of the old programs, the archives of all the old programs we've had going. This program's been going since like July 2015. Or you can ask for a correspondence course, meaning you can fill out and learn the Bible over the Internet. Uh, or you re- could request a face-to-face Bible study. There's all kinds of things you can look at, listen to, examine, uh, talk to me through this website. And that website, again, is BibleCrossfire.com. Pretty easy to remember if you know the name of the program. The name of the program is Bible Crossfire. The name of the website is BibleCrossfire.com. As I said, we appreciate you listening tonight. What I thought we'd talk about while we're waiting on our first call is a passage. Uh, There was something that came up in reading this passage that I really hadn't noticed before. Let me read this. It's in Acts 11. Acts 11, 19 through 24, it says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came into the ears of the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and in much people was added unto the Lord. So in the space of about six verses, You have these four phrases all ending with the Lord. Preaching the Lord. Turned unto the Lord. Cleave unto the Lord. Added unto the Lord. And I'd never really noticed those four phrases like that and how similar they were to each other, but stating, uh, in a way, four different things. We're going to talk about those four things, but we give callers the priority, and the lines right now are wide open. So if you have a Bible question or comment on any Bible topic, as long as it's a Bible topic, it's fair game. The number to call is 877-655-6755. Maybe you've tried to call before and couldn't get in. Well, now's your opportunity. Lines are wide open. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, 877-655-6755. So that first phrase we found in Acts 11, preaching the Lord. You know, we ought to preach the Lord. Uh, Here's the way 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 2 puts that. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So guess what? 
What are we supposed to preach? Jesus Christ and him crucified. Not politics. We don't preach politics. We, we are to preach that abortion is wrong. We are to preach that homosexuality is wrong. But we don't preach politics. That's not preaching Christ and him crucified. That's not preaching the Lord. That's preaching something else. Our preaching shouldn't be a comedy routine. Uh, heard my friend Rodney Hampton preaching the other day. I guess it was on a Wednesday night. And he made this very point. It seems like a lot of preachers now think they're supposed to entertain you with jokes. Now, it's not that it's wrong to tell one joke. But when that becomes the focus of the sermon, I mean, it's more like the David Letterman show than it is preaching the gospel, isn't it? What we're supposed to do when we're preaching the Lord is to inform people about the Lord, what the scriptures say. It's okay to use an illustration every now and then, but the illustration should be used to help explain what the scriptures are saying. Not to entertain the crowd and get a big crowd just because the guy's really humorous. It's We have to preach Christ and him crucified, the Bible. And guess what? Not even topics that are related to the Bible. That shouldn't be our focus. What we should preach is God's word, the Bible. Preach Christ and him crucified, the Bible itself. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Acts 8, 35-37, I would like to read in this connection. It said, says there, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Well, that would be the same as preaching the Lord or preaching Christ and him crucified. Philip preached unto the eunuch Jesus. Let me continue reading. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water. And the eunuch said, see, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Well, Yankees might put it that way. In, down south, we would say, what's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Did you notice that Philip preached Jesus to the eunuch? And somewhere in that preaching, the eunuch learned he needed to be baptized. Well, so it's a necessary implication, or we necessarily necessarily infer that preaching Jesus includes preaching about baptism. Well, of course, that's true. Jesus said in the Great Commission, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. So how can you preach Jesus? Unless he, you preach what Jesus said you had to do to be saved. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We see from this, I'm, I, I mean, I didn't make this up. I'm just reading from Acts 8. Philip preached Jesus to the eunuch. And after the eunuch heard that, the eunuch wanted to be baptized. How did the eunuch know to be baptized if preaching Jesus doesn't include mentioning baptism? It, has, it would have to include preaching about baptism. How else would the eunuch have known? So preaching the Lord. Preaching Christ and him crucified. Preaching Jesus includes preaching, believing, and being baptized in order to be saved. The eunuch wanted to be baptized. He said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. You know, we use that passage quite frequently to, sh to show how infant baptism is unscriptural. There may be a lot of people listening tonight that belong to a church, maybe Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever, that practice infant baptism. How can you say that's scriptural? When the eunuch said, hey, what's keeping me from being baptized? And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. Mayest what? Be baptized. Which implies that if you don't believe, you may not be baptized. Most definitely ruling out infant baptism. Proven by that passage and others too that it's unscriptural. 
Yet people go right along practicing infant baptism as if they don't care what this passage uh, teaches. And then the second phrase that we're talking about, the first one we just went over was preaching the Lord. The second one in Acts 11 was turned unto the Lord. If you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. Now, actually, that second phrase is this, believed and turned to the Lord. What can you learn from that? Well, you can learn that a person is not saved by faith alone. Because it says they believed and turned to the Lord. You got to do more than believe. According to that, you got to believe and turn to the Lord. You don't turn to the Lord. You're just a believer in Christ. And you hadn't turned to the Lord. You're not going to be saved. Well, a lot of churches, Baptist church, for example, preaches you're saved at the point of faith. All you got to do is believe. All you got to do is accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior to be saved. But this says you got to believe and turn to the Lord. Turning to the Lord is something that occurred after the believing. Am I right? So to become a Christian, one must believe and turn to the Lord. Acts 3.19 puts it this way. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So the point of conversion, the point at which your sins are blotted out, comes after believing and repenting. Turning unto the Lord occurs after believing, according to Acts 11. And then according to Acts 3, being converted and having your sins blotted out comes even after repenting. So a person has to believe in Jesus. A lot of people say that's all you got to do. No, you got to repent of your sins. Even then, you're not saved. After you repent, you got to be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Peter said to believers in Acts 2, verse 38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. So you got to believe and turn to the Lord. What else you got to do? Repent and be baptized. For the remission of sins. So a sinner to become a Christian has to believe in Christ, repent of his sins, which means he makes up his mind. He's going to turn, quit serving sin and start serving Christ, start serving righteousness, repent of his sins and be baptized to get the remission of sins. If he's not baptized, he doesn't have the remission of sins, according to Acts 2.38. And if he gets baptized, he's still not going to get the remission of sins unless he repents first. That would rule out infant baptism right there. It would also say a lot of people who get baptized are really not saved because they don't really make up their mind to change their life. They don't repent of their sins. For example, they may be in a marriage that runs contrary to Matthew 19, 9. Whoever puts away their wife, except it be for fornication, and marries another commits adultery. They may be in a second or third marriage that violates Matthew 19, 9. So by Jesus' definition, they're in an adulterous marriage. They can get baptized, but it's not going to do them any good because they had not repented of their sins. They have to terminate that marriage, get out of that marriage. They can't just say, I'm sorry, keep on committing adultery. No, saying you're sorry, being truly repenting means I'm not going to commit adultery with that second wife anymore. I'm going to terminate that marriage, seek reconciliation with the first. It's repent and be baptized for the remission of sins, not just be baptized. It takes both. And then the third phrase in Acts 11 is cleave unto the Lord. Cleave unto the Lord. If you have a Bible question or comment, give me a call. The number is 877-655-6755. The number to call if you have a Bible question or comment, any Bible topic is game, 877-655-6755. So here we have in the King James Version in Acts 11, cleave unto the Lord. The new King James Version has 
continue with the Lord. The ESV has remained faithful to the Lord. The New American Standard Version has remained true to the Lord. Well, that's what we've been talking about. You repent and you're baptized. You're making a commitment to change your life. You get baptized if you make that commitment. You get the remission of sins, and then God expects you to follow through on that commitment. He expects you to cleave unto the Lord. He expects you to continue with the Lord, to remain faithful to the Lord, to remain true to the Lord. You have to follow through on that commitment. If you don't follow through on that commitment, then you'll lose your salvation. This, this again, this passage here proves once saved, always saved false. We were talking about that last week. We talked about the number of ways a Christian could lose his salvation. Here's another passage that proves it's false. Once saved, always saved. Revelation 2.10 puts it this way. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Which implies that if you're not faithful unto death, you won't receive the crown of life. Oh, but a lot of preachers say once you're saved, you don't really have to be faithful unto death. You're going to be saved anyway. You'll receive the crown of life even if you're not faithful unto death. That's not what Jesus said in Revelation 2.10. They're not preaching what Jesus preaches. Jim from New Jersey, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, I was just wondering, um, thank you for taking my call. Um, I was just wondering what the mark of the beast is and what the seal of God is. So in Revelation chapter 13, it says he causeth all, verse 16, both small uh, and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads that no man might buy or sell, save he had that mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here's wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. So here it talks about the mark of the beast, the 666. I assume that's what you're calling about, right, Jim? Yeah, that and what the seal of God is. The Bible doesn't tell us what the mark of the beast is or what 666, what that represents. But here's what the Bible does tell us. The book of Revelation, this is where most people are getting confused. The book of Revelation is a prophecy. But the prophecy was to be fulfilled in the first century time frame. Not the 21st century, not the 22nd century, not the 20th century. Here's Revelation 1.1, the very first verse in the book of Revelation, Jim. It says, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant, John. Well, that's the very first verse. It's setting the stage. Verse 3 says, Revelation 1. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. That sounds like the prophecies in the book of Revelation are going to be fulfilled in the first century time frame, shortly to come to pass. The time is at hand. Am I right, Jim? Well, are the let me, plagues? Let me read you a couple more verses. What? Are the, pla- are the seven plagues? Still, are they still coming or are they? No, no, all that, that, these are prophecies that were to be fulfilled in the first century time frame. That's at the very very beginning of the book. Let me read you two verses in the last chapter, Jim. Revelation 22, 6, he said unto me, these sayings are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophet sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. And then same chapter, last chapter of the book of Revelation, verse 10, 
It says, he saith unto me, seal not the sayings of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. So he's basically saying, this is a prophecy. This book is a prophecy. It's written in figurative language, a lot of figures, but it's going to be fulfilled in the first century time frame, shortly to come to pass. And those people back then almost certainly knew what a lot of these figures represented because it was intended as a message to them. Not directly as a message to us because it was fulfilled and there in that in the time frame of the people John was written to. And that makes sense. What good would it do to those people to write a book, the book of Revelation, to comfort them in their persecution and tribulation if he was talking about something that's going to happen 2,000 years later? He says, no, it's shortly to come to pass. I'm pretty confident they knew what those figures represented back then. We don't today because we don't. What we're to get out of this book is that God is going to be the ultimate victor. And we don't need to know what all these figures represent. The mark of the beast, the 666. We don't need to know what those represent. And we're not told, but we don't need to know to get the message of the book. Those things were fulfilled in the first century time frame, according to those four verses. You can't, you can't believe the book of Revelation and just skip over those four verses and say it's going to apply to today's happenings. That would be, that would be not believing the book of Revelation. Believe what the book of Revelation says about itself. Does that make sense, Jim? Mm, I don't think so. Listen, okay. appreciate your call. Listen what appreciate I your call. Well, Douglas from Idaho, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, how's it going, Mr. Patrick? Thank you for calling. Douglas. Yeah, uh, no, we, we've spoken before. I called in one time before, and we had a little bit of back back and forth on the email. But my my question basically is that um, going to Start the Bible here. Hold on one sec. My Bible flipped off. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was a formless void. There was darkness over the deep, and God's spirit hovered over the water. Okay, so I think we're all in agreement. I mean, that is the very first paragraph of the Bible. Okay. So it says that the earth, earth already was created, and it was a formless void. It was very watery. Then on the fourth day, the sun, the moon, and the stars were created. Cap. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if the sun was hold on, if the sun was created on the fourth day, what was the Earth rotating around? According to what we were taught in school and the common knowledge that goes that's going around the world, what was what was the Earth rotating around those first three days? And I, and I want I want the answer from the Bible, not just some opinion of yours. Well, it does. The Bible doesn't say, does it? <laughs> yeah, it does say. It says right. Yeah, it does. Say. It does say it says in other uh, passages that the earth has never moved. Okay, but, but T- tell you just said something that, that the Lord is tell it among the heathen that the okay, Lord Douglas, is I, you just said to give on, uh, me to give you an answer from the Bible, and I said the and I said the Bible doesn't say, and then you proceeded to give me an answer that wasn't from the Bible. So the Bible doesn't say if the earth was rotating. The Bible doesn't say that, but we know now that it rotates around the sun. Okay, the Bible doesn't say the earth never moves. It doesn't say that at all. If you have a Bible question or comment, please call us at 877-655-6755. Craig from New Orleans, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah. Hi there. Um, so first time listener, first time caller. Um, I'm probably going to ask maybe one of the most asked questions, maybe like on the planet. 
Um, but uh, I'm just trying to get a better understanding of where does the Bible uh, mention um, uh, anything about uh, suffering and why God allows people to um, suffer, cancer, dying of uh, illness, stuff like that. Thank you. When Adam brother, and Eve sinned. Yeah. yeah, thank you for your call, Craig. When Adam and Eve thank sinned, you. in Genesis mm-hmm. 3, God gives some curses upon them. And they lost access to the tree of life, which as long as they could partake of that tree of life, they were going to live physically forever. There wouldn't have been any any sickness or anything like that. But when they sinned, then sin immediately led to spiritual death, Genesis 2.17, and indirectly led to physical death. So suffering, pain, so it's all due to our sin. Oh, right. And I read that. And I know it mentions the reason why women suffer through pregnancy and um, and why God promises that it won't be easy and um, because he right. made the apple. But that's Genesis 316 says unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow in thy conception. So you're exactly right. Wow. OK, so that sums up why they're suffering diseases. Yep. That. Wow. Well, thank you, sir. It God goes bless. back. It goes back indirectly, Craig, to mm-hmm. the devil because the devil is the one that tempts us to sin. You remember in Genesis 3, that's the devil that tempted Adam and Eve to sin, and they succumb. And that's why they lost this, we'll say, paradise on earth environment in the Garden of Eden because of the sin. And so indirectly, Satan is causing all of this, but it's caused by sin. We're all going to die. Okay. Yeah, we, we're all going to die because of that original sin because we lost access to the tree of life well that implies if we're all going to die we're going to die of something right old age or cancer heart attack and and if i do have another minute uh, uh, but um but so what you're saying is wow so that leads me to one more question so what you're saying is is before they ate the apple there was a chance that we would live forever well theoretically adam and eve were going to live physically forever because they had access to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. But notice in Genesis 3.22, this is after they sinned. Genesis 3.22 says, And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden, cherubims, and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So they lost access to that tree of life, and now they can't live physically forever. But what's interesting, in Revelation 22, let me read you something in Revelation 22, 14, Craig. This is an interesting passage because it makes reference back to the tree of life. Revelation 22, 14 says, this is, this is the last chapter of the Bible. It says, Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. So in a way, it's going to be restored in heaven. I don't know if you would say this is a physical tree in heaven, okay? But this city here that is talking about Revelation 22, 14 is heaven. There we'll have access to the tree of life. And there we'll be able to live spiritually forever because we have access to the tree of life. But notice... Craig, who 
has the right to go there to heaven. Blessed are they that do his commandments. So if we trust and obey God, trust and obey Jesus, then we'll get to go to heaven and, have back and regain access to the tree of life and be able to live spiritually forever. Make sense, Craig? Forever, spiritually, correct. So, so what we so need to be doing. So the Bill Gates of the world and, and, and all these people trying to make medicines and pills and stuff, they said you can live forever. It's, 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 biblically, it's biblically impossible. Right. Back to the Bible. It's just not possible. Right. Wow. Right. So, so what we need to be doing, Craig, uh, what we need to be doing, Jesus has paid the price for our sins. We need to trust and obey him so we can take advantage of that death. Blessed are those that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. So we can go to heaven and live forever with God in paradise instead of going to the bad place and spend eternity in a burning fire with the devil. And what I'd like to do is help people learn how to get to heaven, what they really have to do to submit to God. So I want you to call or text me for a free one-hour phone Bible study sometime at your convenience. The number to call or text, 256-682-9753. Thank you.